Uh, this morning we're going to be covering uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, the only event prior to the triumphal entry that is actually re- described in all four of our gospel records. It is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, the only miracle uh, that's recorded in all four gospels from his ministry uh, during his time in Galilee. And I do believe that this is an important miracle and that uh, it plays a key role in establishing for the disciples a real-life example of what effective ministry looks like. As we've been going and making our way through the book of Matthew, we've noticed how he was proclaiming uh, the kingdom to come to, for people to uh, repent and, and there came a point where they just ultimately rejected him. And so now his focus is beginning to, to switch and to change. And he's, he's going to start really pouring into the disciples, uh, training them up for uh, the ministry that will be left unto them once he departs. And so uh, we see today is going to be an important uh, miracle that I believe is used to uh, just beautifully uh, represent what ministry will look like you know and, and I, I believe it's not only what, uh, a good application for the disciples at that time but I believe it's also a good application uh, for us a good example for us to follow and so uh, I do believe that there's going to be much for us today even if you're maybe not I, I think we can sometimes think of ministry and think that's just church uh, leaders but we all have a ministry we all God has placed us uh, in all different places in our lives. Some are uh, in workplaces, and that's your ministry. Some people, it's in the church, you know, and and sometimes it's at home. Uh, wherever your ministry may be, I believe that we can glean some things from this miracle this morning. And so, uh, we're going to go through uh, the feeding of the five thousand. Also, today at the end of our, our close of our service, we will be partaking in communion. And so, just looking forward to that time with you guys as well. Let's go ahead and stand as we read this morning's portion of Scripture. We're in Matthew chapter 14. Again, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read uh, the entire account of the feeding of the 5,000, verse 13 down through verse 21. Okay, Hopefully everyone's there. Let's uh, follow along as I read. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Verse 20. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just the opportunity to meet and gather in this place this morning. We do pray that we would be able to glean uh, truths from your word this uh, morning. Lord, truths that we can apply to our own lives. And Lord, I do believe you set for us a beautiful example of what ministry uh, needs to look like. And Lord, you've all called us into a ministry of some kind. And so, Father, I pray that we would all hear from you this morning. Lord, that uh, as we come into this place, wherever we may be at, whatever we may be dealing with, Lord, that you administer to our hearts as we seek you. So, Father, lead and guide just the study and application of your word. I pray you would just bless each and every one of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. What do you do when life throws you an unexpected curveball and you're all of a sudden hit with sobering or somber news? How do we respond when we receive that phone call that we all dread? That a loved one has passed away unexpectedly or or that a loved one's life has been cut short? What do we do and, and how do we respond in that situation? In our opening verse here, we see how Jesus responded to the news that the disciples of John the Baptist brought to him. That his cousin, his forerunner, his closest ally, and the only one that really seemed to understand his coming and his purpose had been beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch. You recall last week we looked at the opening of Matthew chapter 14 and recounted how King Herod had beheaded John because John spoke out against Herod and his wife Herodias and their marriage. And I'm sure that this had to be a a difficult blow to Jesus. Uh, We know that Jesus was not immune to human emotions and feelings. I think sometimes we think, oh, well, he's God, you know, and he knew it was going to happen, so it doesn't affect him. No, that's not true. Okay? Twice recorded it for us in Scripture, we are told that Jesus was overcome with tears. That so much emotion filled him that he, he wept. Once was when a, his very good friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had died. And his sisters came before Jesus and they were weeping along with all the others there. And and it caused Jesus to groan in his spirit, it tells us, to be troubled. And he was overcome with tears and he wept for them. The other time that is recorded for us is during Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. As he began to enter the city on the back of a colt, and he was on a hillside and he looked down and viewed the, the city as a whole, it tells us that he wept over it. As he considered just the, the coming destruction of the city and the loss of lives that would come because they did not know the time of their visitation. It overwhelmed him with emotions and he began to weep. And so we, we see that within Scripture that Jesus would be impacted with emotions and he would have feelings. And I'm sure that this was a difficult uh, situation. Jesus responded to the news 
by wanting to get away to a deserted place and to be alone. Oftentimes we hear of Jesus getting away to be alone in a deserted place. And nearly every occasion within the scripture that we're told of, he does so to pray and to seek the Father. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35, it tells us, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he... Uh, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary, or sometimes your verse, your translation may say a deserted place, and there he prayed. In Luke chapter six, verse twelve, Jesus got away to the mountain to spend all night in prayer to God before choosing the twelve disciples. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus had taken Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. And Luke tells us very plainly in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that he, again referring to Jesus, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That word wilderness, it's actually the same exact Greek word that's used here in verse 13 that's translated deserted. Wilderness and deserted, the same word. And so we see that Jesus often withdrew to deserted places to pray. And I think that's what he's doing desiring to do in this instance, uh, to get away and to pray and to seek the Father. And here we see Jesus give to us a great example of what to do when our heart aches and we're overcome with emotion over life's unexpected twists and turns. We need to seek our Heavenly Father and pray. Jesus sought a place where He could be with the Lord and hear from the Lord. The Lord answers, the Lord has answers to our deepest pains that we experience. He loves us, and when we hurt, He's there to help if we come to Him. The scriptures describe Him in a number of different ways, but I pulled up some of them. He's described, uh, the scriptures describe Him as our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When life deals you some heavy blows and when you're overwhelmed with emotion, we need to seek the Father. Because He can meet our needs. He's our refuge, our fortress, our strength, our rock, our stronghold, our deliverer of very present help in trouble. And this is what Jesus did after being struck with the news of John the Baptist's death. Here in verse 13, it also says that Jesus departed to a deserted place by Himself. That word actually, Himself, uh, in the original Greek, can actually mean both to get away privately apart from others, or it can speak of a group uh, of several or a small handful getting away from apart from a larger multitude. Okay? And so we do know, uh, based upon Mark's gospel account and even the fact that the disciples are with him later on, that uh, it refers more to the idea of Jesus and his disciples getting away from the rest of the multitudes. Mark's account tells us that Jesus ha- had sent his disciples out two by two, and after that, uh, after that, he had sent them away. He was by himself. He was doing circuit ministry, going around and, and visiting the different cities and teaching. 
It was after he had sent them out that the report of John the Baptist was given to Jesus. And it appears that as Jesus got word of John the Baptist beheading, at that same time his disciples were also returning to him, sharing all the accounts of how they were able to minister to the people in the surrounding area as God sent them out two by two. And they came back, and at that time is when Jesus suggested to his disciples that they get away to a deserted place. Mark 6, verse 31 actually says, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And so Jesus, dealing with the news of John the Baptist's murder, and looking at his disciples who had just returned from ministering throughout the surrounding regions and were, were so busy that they didn't even have time to eat, said, we need to get away to a deserted place. And, you know, sometimes we, we need those times of refreshment in the Lord. You know, a, a time to get away, a time to slow down, uh, a time... Uh, to seek the Lord and wait upon Him. And, and you know, uh, our church here, you know, this year, I, I hope that we can, you know, put together a couple different uh, retreats that can serve as opportunities to get away and, and spend some time with the Lord, to be refreshed and to be encouraged. And I hope that we're able to pull some of those together this year in order to, to just be refreshed and to get away from uh, the busyness that can often fill our lives. Anyways, uh, even though, looking at this, even though Jesus and his disciples were wanting to get away from the multitudes, verse 13 also tells us that the multitudes heard about them departing and followed them by foot from the cities. And I think one thing that is important to note here in regards to what is happening is just the overall setting. Jesus and his disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, which at its widest points from the western shore across to the eastern shore measures no more than eight miles wide. Okay? It's, it's not a great big sea like the Mediterranean Sea or, or you know, we think of a sea, we think of something big. It was more like a, a good-sized lake. Uh, and, and so it wasn't lar- that large. Jesus and his disciples had left Jesus' hometown of Nazareth and had returned to the region along the Sea of Galilee, most likely to the city of Capernaum which is where they kind of had their base of operations and and ministry. Capernaum is a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the deserted place they were headed to, Luke tells us, was a place belonging to the city of Bethsaida, which is off the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And and I have a map. I think we can put it up there. I don't know if you'll be able to see it very clearly. I hope you can. Um, I have a map here. I think it will hopefully understand just the geography of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 14. Okay, Uh, If you look at the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see um, there's a uh, dot, a city dot, that's outlined in red. Can you guys see that? Roy, can you see it? Maybe everybody's not. Andre, can you see it? <laughs> okay. The sea of, right above the E and the A of the sea, there's a red circle uh, outlined city. Okay. That is the city of Capernaum. Okay. If you look closely, which I don't know if you'll be able to, <laughs> uh, there's a red arrow that goes from that red circled city uh, and it points to another city on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the city of Bethsaida. 
it too was off the, the shore of Galilee. Okay? Uh, so you see that this wasn't a great distance to go from Capernaum to Bethsaida by boat. Uh, it just wasn't a very large uh, area to follow. If a boat, they say, if a boat took off from the shores of Capernaum and headed to Bethsaida, you could watch its heading and know where the boat's destination was going to be going to. Okay? And so, actually, even some commentators even suggested that you could easily watch a boat travel from Capernaum to Bethsaida from the shore all along the whole entire time. It's just there across the peak. You're just kind of cutting across just a little tiny top. And, and so this is what the multitudes did. They followed along the shore, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and ran ahead of Jesus and the disciples to meet them in Bethsaida. And I point that out because as I consider the efforts of the multitudes, it caused me to pause and reflect upon what lengths that we are willing to go in order to meet with Jesus and to hear His word and to have Him touch our lives. These multitudes were willing to run across the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, and there is a a river that they'd have to cross. They'd have to cross the Jordan River in order to come to Jesus so that He may touch them. And and, and now, I think nowadays it seems like people, they don't want to have to drive more than a few kilometers in order to seek... um, the Lord at church and, and to hear His Word. When I lived in Okinawa, there were people that you know we'd see from time to time, maybe didn't come to church as regularly as we would like. And talking with them, some would say that our church was just too far from the base uh, for them to come out. And, and the crazy thing, if you're familiar with Okinawa, uh, there's two main large bases there that have families and stuff on it. There's Foster and Kadena. Uh, Foster, we were less than three kilometers from Foster and less than 10 kilometers from Kadena. And some people were like, it's just too far. You know, it's just, it's so far and out of the way to come to church. It's so difficult. And I would think that we, we will allow all sorts of things to get in the way of coming to church and, and hearing, God, hearing God's Word and, and allowing the Lord to touch our lives. And, and I think that we've made meeting with the Lord a matter of convenience, and the drive to come and meet with the Lord just isn't what it ought to be. And maybe I'm speaking to the choir as you guys are here. But we too easily, I, I believe, I think that we too easily plan away our, our weekends with trips you know, all over and, and we fail to, to make meeting with the Lord a priority. I'm not saying you, you can't travel. I know many of you are here and take advantage of the opportunity. But when you travel away, do you still take opportunity to meet with the Lord and to worship Him and to seek Him? Or is it just, well, it's not very convenient because we're kind of out doing our own thing. I, I think we need to... We fail to make meaning with the Lord a priority and we've made it a matter of convenience and it ought not to be that way. I think that these multitudes, they set for us an example to follow in their pursuit of the Lord and their desire for His touch upon their lives. They saw Him going, let's just run across the seashore and meet them there. And uh, I think it's a good example that just that idea of a priority in meeting with the Lord. 
Let's continue. Verse 14, it says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Upon arrival, Jesus saw the great multitude. And remember that the purpose for this little trip was to get away from the multitudes. Jesus wanted to spend some time in a deserted place to seek the Father, and His disciples were looking for some rest after their return from the mission that the Lord had sent them on. And upon the arrival, their arrival, the multitudes had beat them there. They were already there. You know, some may have looked at the multitude, and maybe I would consider myself part of that group if I was honest, and may have thought, oh man... How'd they find us? You know, or, uh, you know, we left to get away from them. Or, or, you know, they're ruining our plans. You know, don't they know (laughs) what we're trying to do here is get away? I think that we can have that mindset sometimes. You know, how do you and I respond when things don't go our way or how we planned them? Do we, do we see interruptions in our plans as hindrances or for opportunities for the Lord to do things? You know, we always talk about, we used to talk about in, in Okinawa, uh, divine appointments. You know, these interruptions that may come in our life, things that we weren't expected, but they are uh, divine interruptions, opportunities for the Lord to do uh, incredible things. And so here Jesus and his disciples, they're trying to get away, but the people were there waiting for them. And as I mentioned already, I do see this event as a great example of what ministry looks like. And the first thing that I want to point out about ministry is not necessarily a a great thing or an encouraging thing, but I do want to just highlight it because I think we need to realize it. It's that our ministry will never be finished. There will always be needs. There will always be someone else that needs assistance. And I'm not just talking about church ministry. I'm talking about the ministry in our home, in our workplace, wherever the Lord may have us planted. There will always be that guy at work that needs a little bit more grace extended his way. Just like there will always be mouths to feed and and laundry to wash and fold for those stay-at-home moms. Uh, Just like there will always be needs for more volunteers within the church. I mean, we have that announcement in there. Uh, It's not just because we like to put it in there and we need to fill space. We need help. (laughs) But I think that's pretty much every church (laughs) that you'll ever attend is... We need more help. We need volunteers. There will always be a need. Ministry will never be finished. Ministry and and serving others is demanding, and it takes a lot of self-sacrifice. And so how do we continue through, and how do we avoid being burnt out and overwhelmed with all the needs that our particular ministries may demand from us? I think Jesus shows us one of the keys here. It tells us that when Jesus saw the multitude, that he was moved with compassion for them. The idea here is not a a simple pity, uh, but a a gut-wrenching type of yearning. uh, This compassion that comes from deep within a person. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, actually tells us why Jesus, Jesus felt so deeply toward this multitude. It was because he saw them like sheep not having a shepherd. 
sheep without a shepherd have nobody to care for them or look after their safety and well-being. They easily become prey to wolves and other predators, and they will not last long in such a state. Sheep without a shepherd will not last. This is how Jesus saw the multitudes. He saw them as people in need of someone to care for them, to look after them. He saw the people's needs and was moved with compassion because he wanted to meet those needs. It's our second point about ministry. I believe it's this. Effective ministry must always start with compassion towards those in need. Compassion and love for others is a necessity for all ministry. Without it, our efforts are worth nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us this very truth. In verses 1 through 3 it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is necessary and primary when it comes to effective ministry. Jesus looked upon the multitudes with compassion. And then he did something about it. It tells us that He healed their sick. Luke's Gospel also tells us that Jesus taught the multitudes about the kingdom of God. And I like that. I like that because Jesus not only met their physical needs for healing, but He also made a point to meet their spiritual needs by teaching them about the kingdom of God. I believe this is another aspect of what effective ministry looks like. Effective ministry meets both spiritual needs and physical needs. You know, I think there there are some people that only emphasize the physical needs and they neglect the spiritual needs. They'll give food and clothing and medication, but they won't give the gospel. And, And while... There's others on the other side of the matter that they offer no physical help whatsoever. Okay, the scriptures warn against this in James, actually James chapter 2, where it says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Effective ministry meets physical needs and spiritual needs. I'm blessed that we get to partner together with ministries like Samaritan's Purse. You know, we send out the Operation Christmas Child. We send out those shoeboxes, those gifts. And they they send out tens of thousands of shoeboxes, each filled with toys and presents and, you know, school supplies and all those types of just physical needs that they may have. But each one of those boxes is stuffed with a tract that tells of Jesus' love for them and tells of His plan of salvation for their lives. And so they're, they're ministering to both physical and spiritual needs. Meeting both those types of needs are marks of an effective ministry. 
Verse 15, it says, When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. The disciples, they didn't see the people in the same manner as Jesus did. They came to him when it was the beginning of evening time. Uh, It indicates to us that it was another full day's worth of ministry and serving. And they wanted to get away and find rest. And instead they found another day filled with ministry and serving others. And the disciples looked at the multitudes and instead of being filled with compassion for them, they instructed Jesus to send the multitudes away. How is it that Jesus and the disciples were able to look at the very same multitude and yet have completely different hearts? Jesus had compassion towards them and the disciples wanted to send them away. The disciples didn't see the people as Jesus saw them. And instead of looking at them with compassion as seeing, and seeing them as people in need, they just saw them as needy people. I think we can distinguish the difference. Maybe you guys know some needy people. They just seem to sometimes, not to you know, get too graphic, just like vacuum the whole life out of you sometimes, those needy people. And, and, and Jesus saw the needs of the people and the disciples, they just saw needy people that we're going to suck the life right out of them. We need to be guarded about looking at ministry in this manner. And, and I believe we need to ask God to give to us His heart for the people that we may see others' needs and desire to meet those needs instead of looking at people as simply needy people that will take away what we have. We need the heart of the Father. We need the eyes to see as the Lord sees them in order to be effective in ministry. You know, often, you know, I I like to just pray and often pray before coming up here, just, you know, God, give me your heart for the people. You know, give me your eyes to see their needs. Show me how I can be used for you. Because I know that in my own, if I just do it on my own, I just think of myself. And so I have to be reminded, God, give me your heart and give me your eyes that I might see the people as you see them and that I might have a heart that breaks for them like your heart does. The disciples presented their case in such a manner as to be thinking of that they were thinking of the best interests of the people. I think it's a little comical, in my opinion. That's how I read it. You know, they're kind of like, look, Jesus, it's getting late. And the people, you know, they're, they're getting hungry and, and there's really nowhere for them to stay, you know, and it's a deserted place. Let's send them away so they can go get some food and, and shelter. You know, we want to be able to make sure that they're taken care of, you know. And, and I kind of see that that's how they're presenting this thing. And I really doubt the disciples were only thinking of the multitude's well-being when suggesting to Jesus that he send them away. It's interesting, I bring it up because none of them expressed a concern about themselves needing to get food or it wasn't like they came and said, Jesus, we need to get going and find a place to stay or find some food. You know, they just said, the, the people, that's what they need. They need to go and get those things. And, and I wonder, you know, that if they just simply trusted and they were confident that Jesus would be able to take care of them and so they weren't worried about that. And I also wonder that if they felt like maybe that if 
that maybe they would be left out if Jesus continued to minister to the multitudes, that they might be left out. It's speculation, but I just wondered. I don't think their heart is pure in their desire to send the multitudes away and let's make sure that they have something to eat and, and they have shelter to find. It doesn't seem to match up in my opinion. Verse 16, it says, But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) I like that. Jesus said, They don't need to go away. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus knew that what he was going to do, that he was going to break the bread and multiply it, and he knew what he was going to be doing. And and so he told the disciples uh, that the people didn't need to go away. And, And I like that Jesus said this. Because when people come to Christ, they need not go any place else to seek for livelihood or satisfaction or fulfillment. You come to Christ, you will, that's what you need. You don't need to be sent somewhere else to go find what you need. Jesus had it, and Jesus knew what He was going to do. He was able to meet their needs. Philippians teaches us that Christ is able to meet all of our needs according to His riches in glory. It's Philippians 4, uh, 19 teaches us that. And Jesus said to the disciples, You give them something to eat. Jesus wanted His disciples to change the way of thinking. To change their way of thinking. And, And instead of sending them off to go get food on their own, that they themselves would give the multitude something to eat. Verse 17 And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. Not mentioned in Matthew's Gospel is actually the fact that Jesus sent the disciples out to find out how much food they actually did have on hand. And John's Gospel account informs us that it was a boy, a small boy, that had five barley loaves and two fish. And the disciples said they only had five loaves and two fish. And on their own, the disciples only came up with the, the five fish and the five loaves and the two fish from this boy. What they had on their own was insufficient for the great need that was before them. Indeed, the other gospel writers tell us that one of the disciples, Philip, actually ex- exclaimed, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them just has a little bit. That this idea, it's like, that there's no way we could feed all these people. On their own, they were severely lacking and insufficient for the task that Jesus had asked them to fulfill. But let's read what Jesus did. In verse 18, he said, Bring them here to me. Jesus tells the disciples to bring the bread and to bring the fish to him. Bring to me what you have. And I believe that this is another great depiction of what effective ministry looks like. Bringing what little we may have and giving it all to Jesus. Jesus didn't look upon the disciples and condemn them or rebuke them for not having enough food to feed the multitudes. He didn't tell them what they brought was insufficient, even though it was hardly enough to even feed the twelve. And the beauty of, of ministry with Christ is that the little that we have to offer is more than enough in the hands of Christ. 
And I think if we can have the heart and the thought that just says, I don't have much, Lord, but what I do have, I give it all to you. I give it to you completely. And I think if we have that heart and that mentality, God will be able to do great things through us. Verse 19, And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke, and gave the, gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Jesus, it tells us that he had the multitudes sit down in the grass, and, and Mark's account actually tells us that he told them to sit down in groups of 50 and uh, groups of 100. And so he had these little pockets, 50 here, 100 here, 50, and they were sitting all along the hillside there in the grass. Jesus then proceeded to take the bread and the fish and he looked up to heaven. John's account tells us that Jesus gave thanks to the Lord for what was provided. And then he broke the bread. Jesus took what was offered, gave thanks for it, and then he broke it. And I think this is very important to note. Oftentimes, God will do, does do the same in our life. When all we really have to offer the Lord is our life and we give it to Him, He will sometimes, dare I say, most always, He will break what we've given to Him. He will break you before He can use you effectively. And, And I think that's another thing that describes an effective ministry as we look at ministry, and it's a simple point, but ministry involves breaking. And this is pictured for us in a number of Bible accounts. If you think of of Mary and her alabaster box that was broken to anoint and minister to Jesus. Gideon and his armies, if you recall, they had to take torches and they placed the clay pots over top of these torches. Okay? Uh, that would be, these clay pots would be broken. And it wouldn't be until they broke the clay pots that the light would go forth and God would use them to bring about a great victory. Even today, later today, we're going to partake of communion. Okay? And we're going to remember how Christ had to first be broken before He could become the Savior of the world. John Corson, uh, you know, favorite pastor, uh, a Bible teacher uh, of, of mine, he's gone through heartache. He's lost uh, actually a wife and a daughter, both through car accidents, two separate occasions. And uh, he writes this, Before the Lord can use a person greatly, he must allow him to be hurt and broken deeply. There's no other way. Corson writes in his commentary, Pride must go. Self-sufficiency must die to make way for the tenderness and compassion that come only through the breaking process. Now some of the best ministers of the Lord that I know are those that have experienced great breaking in their lives. People that have endured things that I would never (laughs) desire to have to happen to anybody. We need to realize that we can't despise the breaking of the Lord. He uses it for His glory. And he, he does use it for your blessing as well. Ministry involves breaking. 
Jesus, after breaking the bread, he gave it to the disciples, and in turn, they distributed it to the multitudes. Jesus entrusted the distribution to the disciples, and I like this as well. Jesus had previously declared to the disciples, they don't need to go away. You feed them something to eat. And here, he supplies them with what they need to to fulfill his request. Jesus will always supply us with what is needed in order to fulfill that for which he has called us or asked us to do. Jesus gave the disciples what was needed to bless and provide for the multitude. And that's another example and a characteristic, a description of ministry. Ministry involves blessing and providing for others. It puts others first. The picture here of ministry, it really is a beautiful one. As you look through the account of the feeding of the 5,000, we give all that we have to Jesus. He takes it and blesses it, and He breaks it, and He gives it back to us that we may use it to bless others. It's a picture of what our lives ought to look like as we serve the Lord. That we offer to Him our life He takes it, He blesses it, and yes, He'll break it for our blessing and and then use it, use our broken lives to be blessings to others as well. Verse 20, it tells us, So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children. Everyone was filled, it tells us. Miraculously, the disciples kept coming back to Jesus and passing out more and more bread and fish until everyone there was filled. I picture it like the bin of flour and the jar of oil there in 2 Kings chapter 17 that talks about the Elijah and the widow and her son. She's gathering up sticks to make her last final bread. I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And, and, and yet God blessed her in that jar. They kept going to it and it just never emptied and never emptied. That oil, they used it and it never emptied, never emptied. I, that's how I picture this. It wasn't as if they just all of a sudden, poof, this mountain of fish appeared that was enough to feed 5,000 people. It was kept on being supplied as they distributed it. They were taking baskets of fish and bread to the groups of 50 and and to the groups of 100, and they'd go back and forth to Jesus for more supplies, never running short of food for the multitude. And in fact, it tells us that there were 12 baskets full of fragments left over after all were filled. Warren Wearsby, another favorite uh, of mine, he noted this, When we give Christ what we have, we never lose. We always end up with more blessing than when we started. I found this to be true in my walk with the Lord and as I've served the Lord. No matter how difficult or how demanding the ministry can be from time to time, the blessings, though, always outnumber the sacrifices. The disciples, they picked up that which remained and so that nothing was wasted. And in this I see our final, one final picture of what ministry is like. Ministry is never wasted. When we serve the Lord and we honor Him in our service, there will never be anything wasted. As you make sacrifice to honor the Lord, it's not going to be wasted. God will use it. 
And we may not see the, the use of that. We may not see the evidence of that. And we may look at it and say, that was wasteful. It was useless. But not in the eyes of the Lord. Ministry is never wasted. Today we get to partake of communion and remember what Christ did for us. Uh, I'd like to actually invite the usher team to prepare the communion elements for distribution and and have Travis and Allison uh, come up uh, to lead us in a time of worship to the Lord. You know, this this account of the feeding of the 5,000, it depicts Jesus breaking bread and distributing it to the disciples. And, And He would do this again with the disciples as they celebrated the Passover meal prior to His crucifixion. And just as it was necessary for Christ to break the bread in in our account today, before the blessings flowed, there needed to be a breaking, before everyone's needs could be filled, so too Christ's body needed to be broken before the blessings of a right standing with God could be attained and the needs of all mankind could be met. And so today we, we take time to remember His sacrifice. His broken body for us. And and not only did Jesus break bread with the disciples during that Passover celebration, He also passed around a cup. And He explained that the cup, it represented a new covenant between man and God. No longer under the old covenant that would require us to shed the blood of innocent lambs in an attempt to cover up our sin. No, it was a new covenant that was established in the blood of the Lamb of God. And communion is about remembering what Christ did for us. But communion is also about proclaiming His sacrifice until His return. And so we not only look to the past when we partake of communion and we remember that sacrifice of His body that was broken for us and His blood that was poured out for us, but we also look to the future and we be reminded that He's coming again. And that we're going to partake of this cup until that day. And so it's also an opportunity to look forward to His coming. I believe His coming is near. I believe the first century church believed that His coming was near. I do know this. Today is one more day closer to when that day will come. And so we look forward as we partake of communion to His return and His coming. I want to encourage you all uh, to go ahead and, and, and hold on to the elements. Uh, the, the ushers are going to pass them out. Hold on to the bread. Hold on to the cup. Travis and Allison are going to lead us in another song. And after everyone's received the elements, I'll come back up and, and lead us in a time together. We'll partake as a body uh, of the bread and the cup together, okay? But uh, at this time, we'll just worship the Lord as the ushers pass out the elements.